0: Genesis 1, I'm going to read uh, verses 26 through 28. Yeah. And uh, if you want to go ahead and flip there as I kind of give an introduction to what we're doing, right? We just finished up two back-to-back sermon series, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And um, at some point, we will do Titus. Uh, but I figured we might take a little bit of a, a break from um, from the pastoral letters before we finish them out. So uh, I'm, my intention is to do a, a seven-week series from Genesis 1 through 3 about what it means to be a human, to be human. Um, I would have used this, the series title uh, Being Human, but another pastor did that earlier this year, and I didn't want to look like I was like plagiarizing or something, but it was, I thought it was good because human being and then being human. and So you can think of it that way. Uh, but I wanted to do this series, uh, I felt led to in the, in the kind of intermission here, uh, because I think this is a, uh, a cultural crossroads. What is a person? What does it mean to be a human? Uh, when you think about the various conversations that are happening in our culture about uh, identity, about sexuality, about uh, marriage, about relationships... Uh, and then you can even expand it from there. Like, what are people for? Are we able to mimic people enough through mechanical processes to create something like a person in our artificial intelligence? The, there is a this is a cultural crossroads. And, and by that, I mean, it's not It's it should be a crossroads, but it's like a, a mixture of a crossroads, a uh, a. What are those cir- traffic circles, uh, an on-ramp? It's all jumbled together. And so our culture is profoundly, society is profoundly confused on what should be a very simple answer. What are, what are people? What's a person? What are they for? How do they live? What does it mean for you to truly be Flourishing and blossom. What does it mean for you to be truly human? How do you live out true humanity? I forgot the the philosopher or the poet who said, uh, to err or to err is human. Or you ever had someone say, um, well, you know, such and such, you know, they, they messed up, they're just human. Right? To say they either. Uh, there, there's some sin, there's some moral failure, there's, there's something that's happened and so they're just human. And in fact, that's actually something that was imported into what it means to be a person. And as we'll see as we go through this series, men and women, humanity, people were made morally upright given something called original righteousness and they fell into sin and so rather than excusing our sin and rather than excusing your sin well I'm just a man I'm just a woman I'm just this thing what you need to say is that the thing that you see is the thing that you're excusing it was actually something that's less than human That you are made for something, someone more. But we are a people plagued by sin. And we'll get into that. That'll be the, we'll talk about the fall at the very, very last one. But it's going to be interwoven throughout all of the messages. Uh, and so what we're, we're going to kind of address certain things along the way. But what you're going to hear uh, is that there's going to be certain threads that show up over and over again. This idea of humans are image bearers, which is where we are this morning, uh, and I—you have a little outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along, if you want to take notes. Uh, there are questions on the back that aren't—I'm not gonna like—I'm not gonna answer them for you. They're just for you later on if you want to kind of digest. The message, or if you had a, a, you want to do so with your family, if you wanted to do so in a Bible study, whatever you, if you were, those are useful for you, or you wanted to go through those in a devotion this week. Um, however, they may be used by you, fine, that's great, wonderful. I just wanted to help direct your, uh, your, your week uh, from here. Um, so to be human, humans are image bearers. You could say image bearers of God by design. And we'll kind of get into uh, some other things in a minute. So, would you stand as I uh, read Genesis 1 26 through 28? Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us, and we thank you that you have set your word down in word on page for us. It is a precious gift of grace and of mercy that we can come to your word written down, preserved for us, that we can have confidence in your providence that you have preserved this word faithful to us this morning, that this is truly your word and you are testifying to us to enlighten us about ourselves. So would you grant us the mercy, the humility necessary to listen to you rather than ourselves to say who we are, what we're for, and what we're to do. And Father, I now pray, pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, would you speak to us today, even now, Holy Spirit, come with power to bring your word to each heart. each mind, and I pray, God, that it would be fertile soil that your word is planted in. Speak, Father, your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. To kind of orient you, right, this is the sixth day of creation. God has made the heavens and the earth. I um, mean, he's made light. He's made uh, the, the sun and the moon, the stars. He's made land and sea. Uh, he's made some the lights and he's made the waters. He's made some creepy crawlies um, up and up on the same day. And he's he's uh, he's filling. He's populating the earth that he's made. And I think it's significant maybe at the outset. And we'll talk about this again down the road. Uh, is that as God creates, God gives order As God creates, God gives order. God is not disorganized. Uh, He is not um, creating chaos, anarchy. But God gives order, and as He gives order, He gives distinction. There's night, there's day, there's earth, there's sea. There are land animals, there are sea animals, there are flying animals. There's distinctions. And so it's significant, maybe at the outset, as we think about humans and humanity, that as God makes a good world, which is testified over and over again in Genesis chapter one, and in fact culminates at the end of the chapter when after God creates man and woman, He makes makes these people in their makes us in in his image, he says it's very good. And that in a very good world, God creates distinctions and God creates order. And in fact, the first distinction that we need to recognize as we think about what it means to be a human is that God distinguishes humanity, men and women, from the rest of creation. That we are distinguished amid the created. So to be made in God's image means that you're created. That's the first point here. It means that you're created. But in the midst of creation, just because you're created, it doesn't flatten everything in creation. Creation is a category with distinctions. So it is altogether right and... Pro- I have a point that I'm driving at and it, it's a pet peeve soapbox moment, okay? Uh, so it's altogether right in, a, in accordance with God's revealed will that we should regard people, humanity, men and women, distinct from creation and in fact more valuable than the rest of creation. I know, that maybe I'm preaching to the choir, right? But I, uh, you, you, you hear people, Well, and this is, I don't want to chase the rabbit, but here's the, the scenario where people flatten out creation because of a misunderstanding of where our origins are. They misunderstand our origins, and I'll talk about this in just a second. And so therefore creation is flat, all life, is somehow connected because all life has grown from each other. We have a commonality with, according to this worldview, a commonality with the apes and the gorillas. We have a commonality with the, the reptiles and the, a commonality with the fish and with the puppy dogs at the, at the shelter. Now, if you love puppy dogs at the shelter, who doesn't? But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as a child in foster care. It's not the same thing as a person who's on a ventilator. It's not the same thing as someone who's in assisted living. Not the same thing as us. You need to have the freedom to say that. So there are distinctions, and you are created, and only humanity is stamped that in His own image, God created them only humanity only men and women bear the image of god only men and women bear the image of god you're created and so it means well let's say let's do let's do some negative theology right it means that you're not self-made you didn't make yourself that should be straightforward who here, if you can, you're a liar. So, but who here can remember your birth? Look at you, Hunter. See you. Um, can you remember your, when you were born? Can you remember? Even, let's go a step back. Can you remember when you were conceived? We're getting to some weird stuff right now, right? <laughs> You're, you didn't make yourself. And the, and the reality of that is that the pride of life is, is nonsensical for a created being. You're not self-made if you're created by the triune God, who is the personal God. So God created man in His own image. He says, let us make man in our image. That us there, I believe, is a Trinitarian us that this is not just a generic god this is not some god of philosophical theism this is not a god of the world religions this is the father son and holy spirit who is the only true and living god so he makes us in his own image in his in our likeness he says for dominion and we'll talk about that later but so you're not made by yourself and you're not created by Chance, And some of you might be here where you have imbibed on the cultural narrative too long and you believe that your life is simply accidental. That you have arrived here, that you arrived in this building by your own self-made decisions and that you have been made purely by the nexus, the factors... Of chance and probability, that you just so happened to be born to your parents, you just so happened to grow up where you grew up, and that your life is purely chance or purely accidental, or maybe it's even if you were maybe a little bit more into some philosophical schools of thought that your your life was born of the survival of the fittest behind you. That your ancestors were somehow stronger than these other and other things, other entities, other animals, other people, and so you've arrived here by that, that natural selection. Chance. Which, if we were to allow this, if we were to say you were you're born of biological chance, that all you are. That, that you are the person that the inventors of artificial intelligence say that you are. The, the, the background of artificial intelligence, I'm not knocking all of it, but the background of it is that people are simply mechanisms... And a mechanistic understanding of the universe which bears out from a naturalistic understanding of the universe or a materialistic understanding of the universe simply that all that you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, that's all there is. So to believe that you're a mechanism means that you can be replicated by the right mechanical features, physical, biological, neurological We're about to jump off the cliff of my depth in a minute, so I'm just going to stop there. But the the premise is is that you're a a mechanism, and that a mechanism can be um, replicated. And if we're to bear that out, the consequences of this worldview, that you were born of chance, that you're born of chaos, that you are simply a naturalistic, materialistic body that has evolved a reasonable mind... In your brain, that you, as one uh, preacher says, that you're just what stardust does at this temperature. If we were to grant that, then life is meaningless. And that all, that government is meaningless, family is meaningless, money is meaningless, you are meaningless, I am meaningless, it's all meaningless. And the reality is, is that those are unlivable circumstances. There's no way, if you were bought into this, there's no way that you can account that you were born of chance, born of chaos, that you are simply the uh, that you are simply a naturalistic. Evolution, that you've arrived at this pinnacle of humanity or whatever, that you that you're the process of evolutionary you're the the result of evolutionary process, you cannot accord that with love. You can't accord that with logic. You can't accord that with the, the inner testimony that you have that you are meant for something more. To simply be born, eat, live, die, procreate before that maybe. You know it. And not every single one of those impulses and desires that are already in you, none of, not all of those can be accounted for in an evolutionary worldview. It doesn't supply it. Empty chaos cannot bring order. Indistinction cannot bring distinction. Not, this is, nothing cannot give birth to something. Go stare at a vacuum for 10 billion years. What's going to be there after 10 billion years? You'll be long dead many times over, but it's still going to be a vacuum. Nothing does not bring forth something. It only brings forth nothing. And so if you came from nothing, then your life is nothing. But praise God, that's not true. You are made in the image of God. And here is your value. Here is your dignity. It is only in being a created person made by the sovereign God of the universe that you can find purpose. That you can find alignment between your experience and the desires. Though corrupted within you, the desires that you have in the world in which you live, only in the fact that you are created. It's important, as we're talking about distinctions, that when God creates, he does not create himself. What this means is that when you look on other people, or you look in the world, you look up at the stars and they're beautiful. You look at the sunset and it's beautiful. You look at the Grand Canyon and it's beautiful. Whatever else. That it is not beautiful. People are not wonderful, fearfully and wonderfully made. Because they have God in them. Creation does not contain God. God, It is not God. The sun and the moon are... This is what we see in Genesis 1. The sun and moon are not God. They do not possess God. God is not in them. The image of God is not that you are somehow divine in and of yourself. There's a false narrative running around that tells you that. There is a distinction throughout Genesis and throughout the Bible and throughout existence. There is a distinction that is a fundamental one for your life and well-being. The distinction is, is that there is a creator and then there's everything else that's created. Amen. Now, this, swallow this pill. Okay? I don't, I'm not giving you a red and a blue pill. I'm just saying, here's your pill. Okay? This is the one. There is creator, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally, He is the creator. Everything else, anything else, anyone else falls into this broad category of creation so you throw in all of the big dogs you think are big throw in archangels, Michael Gabriel, all the ones we don't know about throw in the cherubim, the seraphim you can throw in Satan and all of the fallen angels, creation there is nothing, no one anywhere that is on the same being level of God Okay, so God is not spread out in parts around the world. He's not discovered by, you know, like a a five-year-old would lift up a rock to find the creepy crawlies. That's not how you find God. You might find his imprint. You might find his, his work, his handiwork, the scripture says. The heavens declare the glory of God. They're meant for that. But they do not possess it. They do not encompass it. God alone is God. point one <laughs> this is in my head this is how this went okay um, I was like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna move quickly through one and two and then I'm gonna spend time on three and four <laughs> I promise I've done this before <laughs> okay so we are created and it, but this is such a significant thing so uh, just notice the distinction Uh, Notice that we alone bear the image of God. I haven't really got into what that means yet, Uh, but we alone bear it. Humanity alone bears it Uh, in that God is not, uh, he is not the, these are the, these are the terms. This is, I think this is significant enough to spend a minute on Uh, uh, that it is not the God of pantheism, that God is everything. And it's not the, not the God of panentheism, that God is in everything. A lot of the new, uh, new age sort of cults that pop up um, posit one of those two ideas, that everything's God or that God is in everything. And both of those are unbiblical, contrary to what we have in the scriptures. So when you think about God, which as one theologian said, that's the most important thing about you. Think about him as the creator who is above all. He is God above all so much to say we'll get all right Uh, image bearers are created image bearers are made for communion communion is not uh don't think of it like the lord's supper right here uh the lord's supper is like a function of communion but communion is just a way of saying relationship that you're meant to be union come with you're supposed to be with god so only only humanity bears the image. Only humanity is at the, uh, the the pinnacle of creation, and that we are meant for communion. And communion is worship and fellowship. Worship and fellowship. You can see the fellowship. After in in chapter three, which I'm not going to unpack all of that right now, but in chapter three, eight, right after after Adam and Eve had uh, fallen, they had sinned, they'd rebelled against God. And God goes goes looking for them as if the sovereign God of the universe wasn't quite sure which tree they were behind. Um, That was sarcasm. But he goes looking for them, which shows, I think, shows a little little revelation of God's uh, love and care and heart for his people. Um, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, that there was an intention of walking with God, being so close to God in the Garden of Eden as to experience this this intimate relationship that this is the design, that you're meant to not just believe in this big God who is the big God, the only God, but He's also giving Himself to the creation, to walk with His people. That He's not cold. He's not distant. He he is transcendent, but He's near. You begin to see the nature of God and that He designs humanity, men and women, with the capacity for relationship with God in a way that no other part of creation can claim. Right? I mean, butterflies are awesome, but they're not communing with God. The... We'll all love our dogs. If you're a dog person, if you're a cat person, the, the altar will be open at the end of the service. And... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help it. Uh, <laughs> that they don't commune with God in the way that we do. But we're made for communion, we're made for worship, we're made for fellowship. God's designed us for His glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, which is talking about God gathering in His people. He says in verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. So give me my people. After they've run off in sin, I'm going to bring my people back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So not only are you made for communion, but you're made. You, are, you today are designed for the glory of God. That you are meant to be... I'm trying to think of like a really good, powerful illustration. And this isn't it, but it's what I got. So you are designed to be this beautiful, giant mirror... That when directed right, it would illuminate, it would spread out the sun's rays everywhere it shone. And humanity is meant to be this big bank of mirrors. To reflect back the glory of God. So that God would take delight in the most glorious thing ever, which is Himself. And that we would take delight in the most glorious thing ever, which is God Himself. But the reality is the disruptor to our communion, the disruptor to our worship and to our fellowship is that this wild tempest of a hurricane called sin blew through the field of mirrors. And so all of them are now askew. They're off center. They're reflecting one another. And if you've ever stood in one of those weird things at the fair where there's a, or maybe it's like a, I don't know, some building or or an elevator, which is super trippy, where there's this, there's this uh, mirrors on both sides. It just feel it goes on for eternity. You get lost in these m- mirror dimensions. Is this only me? Have you guys? I don't know if you even thought about that. Like there I am, and 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 there. So when we're we're tilted, we, we cannot stop reflecting. You can't stop giving glory. You can't stop giving worship. You can't stop the longing for fellowship. But when you're bent, when you're, when you're off access, you're going to be see you're going to be reflecting something that isn't God. And you're going to be finding your greatest joy in something other than God. And you're going to be looking to all of these other things to satisfy the deep created longing for fellowship, for relationship, for depth. Sin jacks it all up. So you're created and you're made for communion. I'm gonna hit the pause button. Because I want to spend some time on conscience. And it's gonna take a minute for the next two. But here's the question. If you're you're created, you're shaped, one, do you buy that? Do you do you believe? You don't have to like give me a show of hands. Do you believe? That you're made. That you're, you're made and you're made on purpose. As the psalmist says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made that you are, that the, the God would knit you together in your mother's womb. And some of you that seems outlandish because you might not have even known your mother or your father. It might feel like your whole life up until this point has just been topsy-turvy. No relationships have stuck. Nobody has truly cared for you. Nobody's watched over you. People have betrayed you and wounded you. Preacher, how could you tell me my life is on purpose? And I would, if we had time together, I would, I would open this up more. But I would say that you're here. And you're hearing this message that your life is not accidental. And if your life is not accidental, then you can't treat it as though it were. You cannot treat your life as though it is of no consequence and you cannot treat the lives of other people as though they were of no consequence. You're made and you're made by God for God. You're made by God for God. Some of you, maybe when you think about the communion, do you have that vibrant relationship with God? Not in the sense that, hey, God's this this thing out there and I'm going to live my life here. Do you believe in God? Sure. And then you go do whatever you want to do. That's not the kind of belief in God that I'm after. When we say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that God has come into my heart. He's come into that mirror of my life. And He's put me back on the axis. He's, he's, brought, he's brought the mirror and He's shifted it. And the problem is, is that when my sin, when, that, when my rebellion blew through, and the rebellion of our first parents blew through, and I was, I, I, my, my, the, the, the axis, the, the joint there of the mirror is, is hard and rusty. There's no way that I could change it on my own. But God has to come in and do something. He has to give me new parts, a new heart, and He shifts it. He says, you've been stuck on yourself. You've been looking into another mirror and you've just been picking out yourself for infinity. And you're thinking, if this happens, then I'll finally be satisfied. If this relationship pans out, then it'll all work out. If this job or this money or this health or whatever it is about me, if I start doing, if I start working out, if I start doing yoga, if I go keto or just eat green stuff, it's all going to work out because when we turn on that axis and we're saying I need to you you can't you can't get rid of that fellowship you can't get rid of that worship you're going to be stuck you're going to be stuck trying to serve yourself something that only God can give you and so you'll you it breaks you it destroys you it melts you it hollows you out And even worse than that, as you turn to the other mirrors, not only do you try to fill these things this fellowship, this relationship, this communion, this worship you're thinking, if I do all of these things, not only do you overburden and end up crushing yourself, you do that to the people right in front of you. Because you put on them something that another human can never bear no one else can be your sole source of joy no one else can give you soul satisfaction no one else can supply you truly fully with purpose no one else can secure you and when you try to put all of that on a person we're made for a relationship with one another don't miss, we're going to we'll get into that future weeks But when you turn to someone else and say, you have to be, and it might be a a bank of people. You have to be my life. You have to be my hope. You have to be my life, my joy, my purpose, my vision, my satisfaction, my pleasure. What does that do to the other person made in the image of God? They turn into a commodity to be abused. Whether you would ever say it this way. And this is the, the, the awful position that we are in in sin. Is that we take the people and the things that are most beautiful. And the most precious to us. And we turn them in our sin. Sometimes willingly. Sometimes subconsciously. We turn them into a commodity. And so you see relationships tense. Dissolve or bitter and resentful. And you know what if I could say just these things to you? It doesn't have to be that way. That today, today you can be reoriented to find your true life. You can be remade and reshaped to have true relationship with God. And when you have true relationship with God, you're no longer looking to other people to supply something that only God can give. And then there's the mad, not mad, but this is the transformative thing, is that when you begin to get that from God, Who has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything that you could ever need and more. All of the joy, satisfaction, and purpose. When you begin to get that from God. Do you know what you begin to bring to relationships? You don't come with an empty bucket saying fill me up. You come full. Ready to bring something for someone else. And it's by this move of God's grace in your life. By bringing you from spiritual death to spiritual life through Christ. He fills you up that in Christ, the the Apostle John says, that we receive grace upon grace. It's in this way that you become full. You're filled up, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, that you're filled up to all the fullness of Christ. And as you're filled up with all the fullness of Christ, you step into this world that is hurting and broken and divisive. At war with each other like never before it seems like for many of us. History tells us something different, but for us. And you come saying, I'm not just a, I'm not an empty bucket who's getting full of sour mash on the internet. But I'm full with living water. As Jesus said of the Spirit in John 7, as bubbling out. And this is how you become salt and light in this world. You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Before you can be light, before you can be salt, get full with Christ. And dear, when that reservoir of mercy and love will never go dry. So would you come to Jesus? And part of that, really the beginning of it, is that you have to acknowledge that my life has been Not what it ought to be. I've been looking for, I've been worshiping, been looking for relationship and purpose and all of these other things. And in order for that shift to begin happening in your life, you have to admit that to God. Say, God, this is what my life has been like. I've been turning my people that I love into commodities, I've been selling myself out. Trying to find purpose and joy in all these things. I I know that's empty. I know that's not going to do it. I need you. This is the beginning of repentance. Acknowledging the place where you are. Acknowledging how your sin has brought you to this place. And saying, I need Jesus. And here's the wonderful truth. Is that everyone who comes to Christ. He will not cast aside. He tells us that in the Gospel of John. So would you turn to Jesus? And as you turn to Jesus, he's gonna gonna reorient your life back to him. And as he does so, be prepared for this. Can you imagine you've been staring at a reflection of yourself for your whole life? And all of a sudden, you look at the sun. It's blinding. It's too much to take in. And this is the glory of God. It is not a light thing to behold God in faith. He is the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. There's a reason why immortal angels, unfallen angels, cover their faces. But the invitation is to turn to me and live. And he will give you new eyes suited by the gospel of Christ to behold him. And in beholding him, be changed by him and for him. And that will be for his glory. It will be for your good. and It will be the, for the good of the lives around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do your work that you've appointed in hearts today that we're made in your image. Not self-made, not the products of accident, chaos, or chance, but we're the products of your purpose. And we've been made for you. So I pray, O oh God, that you would Stir up faith in hearts that they might be changed today, that where there is faith that it might grow, that you would even bring the, the precious hard grace of conviction into your people's hearts that they would see the places where they've been lowering their eyes and seeking and living living below living below their calling in Christ and that you would summon them up in faith. Lord, for others who this morning they're uncertain or they're very clear that they don't know you, they've never surrendered and and their life has looked like the brokenness and sin and the manipulation of people, would you move in power to reorient them, grant them the grace of repentance, Stir up faith in their heart that they would acknowledge today their need for you. Call out to Jesus in faith and follow you to new life. We look to you, O Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.